Weekend Breakfast with Sarah Jane Makwala King. Saturday and Sunday, 7 to 10 a.m. Katie McDonald, hello. Good morning, Sarah Jane. On to mm. Australia and the Australian Navy. What's your top story today for us? Well, the Australian Navy or the government's announced that they're going to more than double its Navy size. And they're basically looking at building up its largest fleet since the Second World War. So at the moment, the figure is um, 11 billion Australian dollars, which is you no know, fair whack, is going to be spent on new frigates and warships and long-range strike missiles and such. Um, and, yeah, it's quite a big thing. As I said, second, well, it's, it will be the second... Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, the largest uh, fleet will be its largest size since the Second World War. So that's pretty big in itself. But the reasoning behind it is, you know, the sort of more serious issue. And it's kind of, it's an ongoing thing, which I suppose in other parts of the world people are not as aware of. And I have sort of touched on this before, but it's to counter China's presence in the South Pacific. Yeah. So you're never going to, um, yeah, equal the Chinese Navy because it's, I think, the largest in the world. But their naval presence is gradually and slowly increasing. And they've been, you know, going to, you've got lots of Pacific islands. They've been trying to, um, yeah, sort of exert their influence They've been offering all sorts of things, trying to uh, get diplomatic ties. So Nauru, for example, did have diplomatic ties with Taiwan, but it now has changed. It has diplomatic ties with China. And that's very concerning, not just to the Australians, but to the Americans and um, I would imagine by association as well, probably the UK. So this is all connected as well to aiding the capacity that we'll have when we get those nuclear submarines from the United States. I have to say, I'm not a warmonger, Sarah Jane, so it's, yeah, um, I, I'd love to, well, I'm just thinking of John Lennon and peace at the moment, but um, it is it is what's happening. And they're just, they're very concerned. They're worried that, you know, the Chinese are going to use any means possible to up their presence in the area. And, you know, you've got um, the Solomon Islands, which are geographically very important strategically. So you've also got, um, you know, fishing fleets or fishing interests, and there have been quite a few reports of incursions into non-Chinese waters. It's also part of isolating Taiwan diplomatically. There's a lot going on here while everything else is going on in the rest of the world. And hence, our Navy is going to get a massive, massive injection of money and a whole lot of new equipment. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the amount of money being spent. And I'm also thinking about uh, the uh, recent deployment of South African troops to uh, to the DRC and and the, the situation there mm. and, and, and how, how woefully under-equipped our own... Uh, armed forces are uh, next up yeah. something slightly more uh, slightly more upbeat and slightly more positive Australia is uh, leading the race to build an artificial heart tell us the story behind this it's lovely well this yeah this is a great story and also too um, as I sort of mentioned 
yeah, um, takes me back to driving past Critoskia on a daily basis where the first transplant took place. But um, this is a heart, a levitating titanium heart, and the actual construction and how it works is interesting in itself. But it's designed by a young Australian engineer, and his father was dying of heart failure, and that was one of the things that spurred him on to developing this heart. So it's an artificial heart. Now, apparently to date, artificial hearts, they haven't done very well. Um, they haven't managed to get one that's, or, you know, um, construct one that works in a human being. But this one is, okay, so now here, here I go with my engineering knowledge. Um, it whooshes. It doesn't beat, but it whooshes. And that whole, yeah, the way that it works is completely different to as what one would assume. It's not a pump type thing. It's whooshing. And it's going to be trialed in America in a human being for the first time Ooh. this year, which is quite something. And he's got one that he's nicknamed the Honey Badger, and it's been running for five years. And it did keep a cow alive for three months. So, you know, these are all positive things. But it, it sounds absolutely fascinating. Absol and uh, The minute you said that, that it's not going to be beating, it's going to be whooshing, I'm like, right, I want to know more information about this. Oh, I really hope one of my colleagues, and I can't wait yeah. till next week for us to do it. So I'm hoping that somebody um, in the coming week will, will delve into this a little bit more because we've got some excellent Excellent heart people here, of oh. course, uh, who can maybe as explain the wishing. As you well know, it's, it's such a challenge because, you know, yes, um, we can transplant hearts, but they're, they're just not enough donors. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of hope being put in this. The government's putting another $50 million into the research. And, yeah, and quite interesting because apparently he started off and still goes off to Bunnings, which is our big hardware chain here, to get all of the pipes and things that he no uses way. for it. No way. Um, yeah. But it's a lovely story, but it's also potentially um, wonderful for so many people out there. Do you not... I, I'm somebody who is... I could not be further removed from knowledge, like science. I was talking to somebody the other day um, about my strengths at school. And my strengths at school lay in, perhaps unsurprisingly, English and drama and history. They did not lie with mm. any of the sciences. So when I hear about the the brains of people who are doing this, it blows my tiny mind. The, the, the fact that... Yeah. There are human brains that are sitting able to create artificial hearts and know actually, well, we're not going to make it pump. We're going to make it whoosh. And we're going to, I mean, talk about layman's terms, but I just find it absolutely extraordinary. Actual human beings are coming up with this in, you know, in their own human brains. It blows my mind. It's extraordinary. Mm. Uh, I salute it you. It's incredible. I salute you. Your last story is yeah. odd. Uh, <laughs> an Olympic equestrian has almost jeopardised his chance at competing in Paris because of his attire. Talk us through it, please. Talk us through it. Yes. Yeah, so look, I'm going to just have to have a giggle because I'm a little bit of a, you know, Borat fan. And, um, yeah, this he's an Olympic equestrian. He's still hoping to compete, well, again, in Paris. And he 
this sounds so trite to me. He, he competed in a competition wearing a mankini. Okay, so that G-string <laughs> bikini made famous by Borat. And, yeah, um, quite an interesting piece of attire. So he just thought it was fun. You know, he competed in this um, event. And the next thing, he gets a call from our governing equestrian body. And they told him that he was under investigation and temporarily barred from competing because he was wearing a mankini. So it, it got a bit of attention, as things like that do in the news here. And a lot of people kind of going, this is ridiculous and such. Um, and you can well imagine the jokes and also the criticism of the governing body that came out. And, um, yeah, people wearing mankinis in um, solidarity. But the gist <laughs> is that they've dropped the... I know. And it's, it's not always a pretty... You know, thing to see. It's but never, dropped, it's um, never ever, ever a pretty thing to see. Ever. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's... He, so he's he, fine. He's fine. The event that he competed mm-hmm. in was was what? I mean, was it an important event or was it just a... No. No. Not at all. It was just a small equestrian event. It's not as though it was the Melbourne Cup or, you know, the Epsom Derby or anything like that. Um, yeah, and, you know, Aussies are larrikins and they do things like that, you know. Um, it's hilarious. Well, just, it's I'm, thought I, to be hilarious. I, I can't imagine why the governing equestrian body, whoever that was, got their knickers in a knot about it as such. He wasn't at the Olympics. It's not like, you know, there they were no. at the Olympics and he decided, oh, two, two fingers up to you, I'm going to ride it. It was a completely unrelated event. Mind your own business. Doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. I, look, I have a theory, but, you know. Go on. Um, it doesn't just pertain to the governing body. No, it's just too much time. Too much time. You know, not enough serious, you know, or not enough things, issues that are serious to worry about. You know, rather than, yeah, stalking someone who's wearing a mankini so, on a horse. So I've which just, yeah. would be uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> so I've just I've just Googled this and and God bless the Daily Mail. Uh it says uh, here that uh oh hold on a second. Shane Rose, 50, wore the revealing outfit during a fancy dress competition. A fa- it was a fancy dress competition at the Wallaby Hill Extravaganza in New South Wales on February the 11th. The stunt offended an attendee who anonymously complained. Oh, you absolute coward. Anonymously complained to the sports governing body, uh, Equestrian Australia, and the Sports Integrity Australia. An investigation was launched into the incident, uh, which led to the triple uh, Olympic medalist being stood down from competing while the review took place. Whoever you are, you anonymous complainer, get a life. Get a life. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. It's tragic. And look, I have to tell you, Sarah Jane, I have been staying well away from the Daily Mail because <laughs> it's just Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, <laughs> and I actually can't handle it. It's just too much. No, too it's much awful. My, yeah. It's an absolutely my, dreadful my rant. But, <laughs> no, it's appalling. But it's my guilty pleasure. But I'm glad that they've, they've provided some context, which was this is a fancy dress competition. This wasn't even that he... Oh, no. Uh, 
No. Some people yeah. are, are um, they make a career out of just being miserable and obtuse, don't they? That is just extraordinary. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and um, it fits into my theory as well. You know, I'm looking at a picture. Too of, much time, Sarah Jane. Too much time on your hands. Uh, folks, if you want to see a picture mm. of uh, Australian show jumper short Shane Rose in his mankini, um, get yourself onto the website. Onto, well, it's everywhere, actually. That's really funny. Also, um, my, my thing is... Could this person who complained in a million years t- take take his attire out of it? Could they get onto horseback and gad around in the way that he does? He's an Olympic medalist. The man is an extremely talented sportsman. Just oh, mind your own business. Look at me getting on my high horse. Oh, dear. Unintended. On, I'm sure. on that tragic note, uh, Katie McDonald, I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you very much indeed.